Welcome to uh, Longwoods uh, Leadership Discussion. I am Matthew Hart, the CEO for Longwoods. This came together just over 18 months ago when Longwoods and the Canadian College of Health Leaders decided to work on issues of healthcare management forum and healthcare quarterly with the same themes. Uh, it has been a great experience for us and today's discussion will center on digital and informatics competencies, uh, requirements for nursing leaders in Canada. The paper is available now in the uh, latest issue of Healthcare Management Forum. Before I hand it over to our moderator, Don Duition, um, I would like to mention that you can find me on LinkedIn, but not only me, you can find Don and all of our speakers today on LinkedIn. When you don't get an opportunity to build your network in person as we uh, did so much in the past, um, I think using tools like LinkedIn play an even bigger role. Um, maybe you don't need to communicate with them right now, but you never know when you just might want to have a quick conversation. So why not start building that relationship now? It is my pleasure to hand the show over to Don. Don, the floor is yours. Thanks very much, uh, Matt. And um, I was absolutely delighted when we took on the opportunity to uh, collaborate on this special issue of our, um, of our journal. So it's my pleasure to welcome uh, three individuals who were, two of them were involved in the, um, in, in the article and uh, Lorraine as well. So the three individuals are Brian Lowe, health informatics professional, CIHR, health systems impact fellow and associated with the Campbell Family Mental Health Research Institute for the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. And he's also involved with the Institute of Health Policy management and evaluation at the University of Toronto. Lorraine Blackburn comes to us from Vancouver Coastal Health. She's the Vice President of Professional Practice and Chief Clinical Information Officer. And she's also Adjunct Professor at University of British Columbia School of uh, Nursing. Jillian Strudwick, Scientist, Chief Clinical Informatics Officer with as well the Campbell Family Mental Health Research Institute at CAMH. And she's an assistant professor at the Institute of Health Policy Management and Evaluation at the um, University of Toronto. So after um, this introduction, I'll turn it over to, um, to Brian and we'll have each of the uh, speakers go in turn. I will ask one question before I move on to the uh, next speaker, but I'll turn it over to uh, Brian now. Perfect. Thanks so much, Don. So I'm thrilled to be here today and thank you for inviting me to be part of this wonderful discussion today. Looking forward to the wonderful chats and questions that we'll have. So to kick us off, I thought it would be great to provide a bit of an overview of the underlying motivation uh, and summary of our work today. I think everyone at this virtual table here can agree that uh, digital health has become an instrumental part of how we deliver care whether it's for documentation, to engage patients, uh, support care planning through predictive analytics, as well as a number of other pieces of work. Uh, and you know, recent surveys from Canada Health InfoWay and advocacy efforts uh, from OMA and other organizations have really reiterated uh, just how important and uh, the role of digital health can have for uh, patients, families, and clinicians. However, in order for these tools to be successful, it really requires strong digital health leadership uh, and collaboration with existing clinical leaders in the space. And so as we start seeing a demand for roles that sit at the interface of digital health uh, and clinical nursing space, there's a need for us to identify competencies uh, to ensure that every nurse leader is equipped with the skills and knowledge to adequately represent the needs of nurses at the decision-making table. 
And so as we started our journey by serving the literature uh, in 2017, we want to seek out what is available uh, out there about informatics competencies uh, for nurse leaders. And through the scoping review, what was really interesting that we found was that there's a wide range of competencies, uh, actually across 11 competency themes, some varying from how to use a computer, troubleshooting, to even more advanced leadership skills. But what was really interesting was really the range in terms of both content of these informatics competencies, as well as the number of informatics competencies that was identified. I think from our, uh, our literature review, we found ranges from 11 all the way to over 100 or 200 competencies. And so while this provided us with the foundation um, for thinking about informatics competencies for Canadian nurse leaders, a key missing puzzle uh, piece of the puzzle still remains which of these competencies are most relevant for nurse leaders in Canada. And so we had the privilege to engage over 23 Canadian informatics nurse leaders in the space uh, to do a bit of a consensus scanning technique to validate the competencies and identify those that are considered to be a priority to nurse leaders in Canada. And the end product, which you can see in this diagram here, is a list of 24 competencies that range across a number of different categories. And as you can see, these competencies do range quite a bit from advocating for digital health tools uh, in the clinical environment uh, to supporting the development of policies or implementation of digital health tools uh, to advancing or exploring emerging trends that are um, you know, really important for healthcare, such as predictive analytics. And last but not least, collaborating with others to make that impact uh, and enable that impact. Um, and what's interesting uh, when we kind of saw these results was that it, so while some of these competencies are quite rooted in our daily operations and daily practices for digital health authorities, such as leading adoption of HIT, uh, others are fairly emerging, but are much in demand. For example, identifying workarounds um, and what others are doing, um, looking at and mitigating unintended consequences and others. And so I think we'll have a lot of really solid discussion uh, throughout this next hour on this, so I won't go too much into the fine details. But before I kind of close off um, the few minutes that I have, I just want to provide a sneak preview as to what's coming next in this work. As a next step, our team has started working with the University of Alberta to support the development of a self-assessment instrument to help nurse leaders be equipped with the informatics skills and competencies that we've identified here. And so uh, that's it for me uh, for these few minutes. Thanks so much, Don. Thank you very much, uh, Brian. And I'd like to uh, just put one uh, question to you and perhaps a follow-up um, later on. But are these informatics competencies unique to the Canadian context? And how do they compare with those for other countries? Mm -hmm. No, that's a very interesting question, Don, that you ask. And I think it's been a question that has been really of strong interest uh, both for our team, as well as in, in, in passing in our discussions with other researchers in kind of medical education and uh, informatics, it's been an interest of, um, for many others as well. And I think um, while there's kind of no easy answer for this one, I think that there's uh, definitely a range in terms of how some competencies may be more uh, relevant uh, and more very specific to the Canadian context, but other competencies may be more relevant to other countries that may be at similar levels of digital health adoption. And in our scoping review, what we found that there was a lot of heterogeneity in terms of the competencies that we identified. Uh, so not only were there were there different numbers in terms of the number of competencies that we found, but what was really interesting was that some of them really focused on really basic pieces, such as how do I use the computer? How do I troubleshoot different pieces? Which to us may be something that's, you know, pretty common practice already. I think most of us are quite familiar with how to use the computer. 
Um, but then there were some other studies which were much more um, focused on the advanced pieces, such as AI and predictive analytics. And I think one of the discussions that we've had quite in depth when we were kind of putting uh, this work together and thinking about next steps was really thinking about the different stages of digital health adoption across the different countries. Um, one of the pieces that come to mind is really EMR adoption. Uh, I know, for example, HIMSS has done a bit of work looking at different stages of EMR adoption. I think that can really also speak to, you know, level of adoption for digital health across different countries. Some may be more such as the US, maybe more advanced. And so they may have competencies that speak to a lot more about predictive analytics, AI, et cetera. But other countries that are in earlier stages may not, uh, it may not be as relevant for them at this time. Um, and so I think as more, as we see more and more of this work really come to uh, literature, I think it'll be really interesting to see and do some comparison around, you know, which ones may be more relevant to more, uh, to a larger number of countries versus ones that are more specific to those that are a bit more advanced in that, in this space. So, um, definitely really looking forward to seeing, you know, as we need more information, I think it'll be great to see that comparison comes to play. Great. Well, thank you very much for that, Brian. Um, as we expect in healthcare, it's rarely simple. It is nuanced, but you have drawn on the international uh, literature through your scoping efforts. So um, well done on that. Lorraine, can I turn it over to you now? Sure, thank you, John, and good morning, everyone. It is a definite pleasure to be here today um, with the authors of this paper and also to see so many familiar names from across Canada. Um, I thought I would just start by sharing some personal reflections of a leader in a large healthcare organization. Um, you know, every day uh, across this country, we see a multitude of decisions being made in this uh, digital health realm. And these decisions are being made at all levels of our organizations, right from small working groups to the highest level of decision making, both in organizations and even more broadly in health systems and at the provincial level as well. And these may be temporary structures related to projects that we are implementing or our, um, our sustainment structures of where we uh, create um, and sustain our organizations. And I think, you know, we as organizations, I would say, I believe we put a lot of thought into processes and structures um, and who we would like to see on these tables to get the, boat, the best decision possible, um, whether that be project or within our organizations. And um, I think the point I'm trying to make is, is that um, every decision um, ha can have a profound impact and a lasting impact across our system. And they're not always connected. And I don't think there's always a recognition of the impacts uh, that they may have uh, going forward throughout the years as well. So I'll just give an example of our current EHR implementation. Um, we have a multitude of different working groups that are working really hard to design and build our system. One of those is our nursing and allied health working group. And uh, it reports up to a cross-governance table, which we call CCOAT, which is our um, core clinical and operations advisory team. And in that microcosm, in a larger project, in a larger system, over the past couple of years, we've made over a thousand decisions. So think about those thousand decisions and the impact on our clinicians and the population we serve. So that will impact workflows of our clinicians. Um, it may impact uh, the time that our teams have to care for clients. It will impact data. 
the information that is available in the system, both at that clinician level, but also, also at a health system level for quality improvement, for research, um, the list goes on and on. And what you also need to realize is that when that team is there considering and analyzing options, they may have boundaries placed on them by previous decisions that were made. So those decisions are where investments were made historically, uh, policy decisions of the organization or more broadly, the KPIs that we choose to focus on, um, so there are so, it's like this web of decisions. And so I just think this creates a profound need for all our leaders in the organization to have knowledge in this digital space. Um, and this isn't to call out any one individual because I, I think this creates this shared responsibility and accountability for us to ensure that when we give people um, this, this decision-making responsibility that we also create an environment that gives them and creates um, the opportunity for them to develop their competencies as well, both within and outside our organizations as well. So um, I was reflecting on an article that John um, Glaser or Glasser wrote in the Harvard Business Review um, in 2020, and it was called, uh, it's time for a new kind of electronic health record. And he spoke about the issue of a simultaneous glut and dearth of information. And my uh, partner in crime, Eric Grafstein, who's our CMIO here, he's a practicing ED finish, uh, physician, once described it as a million um, spots of light. And you have to sometimes pick out the two that are important to that one individual in front of you. And I always like that, um, that way of describing it. But anyhow, John um, Glaser, when you think about an electronic health record, he said, we're good on the record side, not so good on the health side. And so in this article, he talks about um, that the vision should be that EHRs need to evolve to become intelligent, patient-centric, care plan-centric health records with the ability to cross care settings, to integrate multiple plans, into a master plan that use intelligence to integrate, manage, to assess appropriateness, to track and analyze for all members of the care team and the client. So when I read articles like this, first, I get a little bit discouraged maybe about how far we still have to go when we're still on paper and have projects called Acts the Facts. Um, but I also think when I hear about that vision of a patient-centric, care plan-centric EHR, I just think, is that not so fundamentally aligned with the values of nursing as well? And does that not create even a greater imperative why nursing, along with our colleagues in medicine and allied health need to be prepared and at the table to create our next generation of EHRs uh, that really meet the need of our clinicians and the clients that we serve? So I like to think so, and that's why I do this work, and I'm so excited about it. Um, so I'll pause there, and I really look forward to this conversation today. Well, thank you for that um, overview, um, Lorraine. You speak about our collective responsibility to ensure that nursing leaders have the necessary competencies to support the advancement of health information technologies. 
What are some of the strategies that you can tell us about that health organizations should bring to uh, embedding within their settings to ensure success? Uh, thanks, Don. I, I won't call out. I, I think in the article um, that the authors did a really good job of articulating some of those strategies. Just um, from my personal reflection of being in this role for a couple years, I'll just mention a few things. I feel really fortunate to be um, part of an organization that uh, sees the value of having a, a senior clinical role, such as a um, CCIO position that is positioned at the senior leadership table that can bring those conversations to the senior table. Um, and I think that starts educating the, the rest of the senior table as well about uh, the important uh, strategic conversations that the organization needs to have. Uh, the other piece is about how our portfolios are structured. I think there is huge value in the synergies that I have seen between uh, the practice components of my portfolio and the informatics um, components. So by um, partnering those areas together in the organization, my practice leads have developed um, informatics competencies and vice versa as well. Uh, the third thing is just a reflection on what I'll call the silver linings of COVID is uh, through the pandemic, and maybe you've seen this in your own organizations, is that those traditional barrier, barriers or uh, maybe structures um, fell down and we saw different areas of the organization and roles partnering in a way and taking on new opportunities or um, or um, projects that we didn't see before. And so that was an opportunity uh, to implement new types of technologies really quickly. And so people developed new skills um, and new competencies that they didn't have before. And I hope that we'll continue to look for those opportunities in the future. So I'll just, uh, I'll pause there, Don. Thank you. Thank you, Lorraine. We may follow up on some of those observations uh, um, later on as well. Um, so, Jillian, can I turn it over to you now? Sure, and I'll also ask Matt if he can share the slide that I uh, sent. And first of all, I just wanted to say, like Lorraine, it's so great to see so many um, familiar friends and colleagues here today. Um, wish we'd, we could be here in person, but uh, um, lovely to see you through Zoom. So um, I want to take this time to talk about burnout and where EMR burnout is situated in this discussion about informatics competencies for nurse leaders. And so um, prior to the pandemic, there was a lot of talk about EMR burnout. And there was um, probably a few articles that you received. So one is that Atul Gawande article in the New Yorker that was on why doctors hate their computers. And I think that circulated amongst everyone at my organization and likely yours. And there's also this other one in the New England Journal of Medicine called Getting Rid of Stupid Stuff. And that was um, sort of a comical title where the authors talked about how uh, folks at their organizations could nominate forms that they considered um, inappropriate or redundant functions of the EMR requirements of the EMR that didn't seem on par with what they actually needed to do, too many clicks, these sorts of things. And then there was this article in the Journal of the American Medical Informatics Association, which really explicitly talked about the link between EMR use, and in this case, stress and burnout amongst physicians. And then if you went to any conference in this space, you probably heard about it. So it was, it was a big hot topic, and then the pandemic hit, 
And we mostly really stopped talking about EMR burnout and then started talking about a whole bunch of other contributors to burnout and why we might be in the place that I know I'm in here in Toronto. It might be at your organizations where we have really significant shortages of healthcare workers, particularly nursing. And it's a very stressful and challenging work environment to be uh, regardless of whether you're working in a, a, a COVID unit or ICU or other settings. And so, um, so that's really setting the stage for this. Um, but so before I get ahead of myself, let me just review the definition of burnout so we're on the same page. <clears throat> and so burnout is really an occupational hazard caused by cumulative workplace stress. Uh, and that was recognized before the pandemic. Um, it consists of three things. So emotional exhaustion, which is about feeling drained or fatigued. And the second thing is depersonalization, which is about becoming indifferent or emotionally distant. And then the third piece is this diminished sense of professional achievement. And um, it's usually measured through a couple of standardized instruments. One of them is, you might've heard the Maslach Burnout Inventory or the Mini-Z, and there's a few others that measure that same thing. And so um, what I'll do now is just draw your attention to the slide. And so, um, on the left-hand side, you'll see some of the causes of, um, uh, in that figure, the purple figure, some of the causes of burnout, and then it's connected to some of the consequences of burnout. And you'll see that there's, on the causes side, there's those at the workplace risk factor level. And uh, there's also some protective factors related to the workplace. And there's also those um, risk factors that are at the individual level. And so where, uh, digital health technologies, the EMR, uh, 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 other health IT fit in is really in the workplace risk factors. And we have some pretty, um, there's literature that, that uh, demonstrates that this is uh, a workplace risk factor. Um, now on the right-hand side, you'll see that the consequences of burnout are at different levels. So there's the consequence related to the system or organizational level that at the provider level, and then of course, some very significant and negative consequences to patients. And what's interesting is with the workplace risk factors, there's this vicious cycle that can happen. So when you have um, negative workplace risk factors, uh, that could be say low um, staffing in a particular area, it could actually then increase some of the, um, the consequences, it could actually increase absenteeism could increase folks leaving the workplace, that sort of thing, which then could make the work environment even harder. And so that ends up being that vicious cycle. And so if, I, if I'll now draw your attention to the right figure, the right-hand side of the slide, and this is where there are five system level recommendations stemming from the OMA's work on addressing burnout in our physician colleagues. And so I don't think it's too much of a stretch to think that these would look probably similar for our, um, for our nursing colleagues. And so um, as you can see, there are five listed, and this is about addressing burnout at a systems level. Two of them are related to the health IT space. So the first one that is related to this space is streamlining and reducing uh, required documentation and administrative work. And then the second one is promoting seamless integration of digital health tools into clinical workflows. And so uh, my concluding points here are that um, number one is that um, I say all of this as I believe that if we really want to address burnout as a whole, 
uh, we do need to come at it from multiple angles, with one of the big ones being the technology, documentation, and health IT angle. So that's the first point. And the second point being that we really need clinician leaders, um, like nurses and physicians, who really get this, have the appropriate competencies to address these technology-related components of burnout, and are in the appropriate roles where they have influence to be able to make the decisions, many of which Lorraine talked about, um, to be able to have an impact here. So I'll stop there. Thank you very much, um, Jillian. Um, so at a high level, <clears throat> those um, uh, activities <clears throat> would be oriented towards an organizational broad approach. Can you provide us with some examples of ways that we can address some of these technology slash documentation issues that you speak about? Sure. Uh, and so this is something that um, I'm thinking about often in my current role. And uh, we've gone to the literature, we've talked to colleagues to see what works, what doesn't work. And some of the things that have come out have been um, ways to reduce the time and effort uh, required to use the EHR. Um, and I know we keep talking about the EHR, but this is something that really um, we spend a lot of time doing if we're in a direct care role. And so some of that time, if you have access to an analytics platform, you're, you might be able to, first of all, get a sense of where people are spending their time so that you can target your efforts at reducing it in areas that are um, maybe the most troublesome. There's an opportunity in probably most organizations, I know certainly here at my organization, to streamline documentation and to standardize it um, a bit more <laughs> than we currently do. Um, reducing some of the documentation requirements if appropriate, reducing the clicks um, for tasks that we do often. Um, and in the US, we hear about um, the use of scribes, although I haven't heard about it much here, and I'm not sure that's somewhere where, we, where we'd ever plan on going. Um, and I know what we're doing with our physician colleagues is trialing out like speech recognition technology for, for documentation. So that's, that's some of the ways for, to reducing the time and effort of the HR. Um, the other piece is the rapid handling and following through of some of the, the issues that uh, will come up forever. Um, and so uh, there's some ideas or there's this concept of something called a sprint or a SWAT where um, you get a group of clinicians together and you bring all the resources to them and you start um, going through their issues as, and addressing them and circling back uh, in a very quick wet manner. Um, there's the getting rid of stupid stuff idea. So nominating things that could be improved within the EHR. Uh, and then having a really robust clinical change request process with uh, clinicians engaged in the decision-making throughout it with a triage process. Not everything has to happen uh, now. Um, and there's some that have broader, some changes that have broader implications that you have to, um, uh, as Lorraine said, um, really think through with the right people at the table. The other part I would say to sort of close off this is that, um, and I'm probably biased in saying this, but as, as we're talking about having clinicians in decision-making roles at leadership tables, we have a number of organizations that have CMIO roles. And I think that's going to grow, which is fantastic. But we somehow got to a place where we don't have that many in CNIO roles or CCIO roles 
that are sort of representing either nursing and health disciplines or non-physician colleagues, of course we work together. Um, and so where does that leave us? <laughs> um, it, so that's, you know, that's something that I'm thinking about with a number of colleagues across the country and thinking about how do we really advance um, nursing leadership at these tables and the CNIO role or CCI role or something like that is probably the way to do so. So I'll stop there. Thank you, um, Jillian. Um, so I will just encourage our participants and I'm absolutely delighted to see such a wide range of individuals who have self-identified as being leaders within the space that you are uh, speaking of. Um, which is which is great, but I will ask if you have a question that you would like to put forward, um, rather than putting it into the chat box, if you wouldn't mind putting it into the um, Q&A um, box, please, and we'll facilitate uh, some further interrogation of our, uh, of our presenters. Um, Jillian, one of the things that was uh, uh, asked was, the references that you shared, and I think there were about two or three of them in your um, presentation, uh, would it be possible for you to share those references um, with us? I don't know um, how we might do that, whether we probably post um, posting of this video on the Longwood site would be one way of doing it, um, but um, I'll let you use some discretion as how to do that. Absolutely. Um, I think I spoke about a few that are free, so that's always good. Um, and oh, someone's already posting it, which is fantastic. There's one that's um, um, our group here calls the, the Gardner article or the Gardner article, which is the one in the Journal of the American Medical Informatics Association. That's the one that really links EMR use um, and burnout uh, and stress amongst physicians. But um, we can, I'm happy to share it with the organizers if it's appropriate to mail out to folks. Great, excellent. And I see that um, someone has provided the link to the Lazier uh, article as well. So that's, uh, that's fabulous. Um, <clears throat> I had the opportunity perhaps six months ago to have heard a presentation uh, that was delivered by a uh, CEO of the Providence um, Health Center in Calgary. It's a long-term care facility that uh, <clears throat> was really having to respond extremely rapidly to a situation which all of us, I'm sure, were facing during that first, uh, first wave. And she described the role that her IT people played during that first wave of the, um, of the um, um, pandemic and the, and the relationship between the nursing staff that were on the units, the families that were outside, the patients inside, the unsung heroes who came forward to actually facilitate the linkages with the outside community were in fact um, the IT individuals in that, uh, in that organization. And I noticed that comment, one observation that you made, um, not sure if it was Lorraine or, or Jillian, um, but in respect to the fact that the um, relationship between nursing and IT 
um, was an important one. And I got out of that presentation the fact that um, that was an instrumental element of learning taking place on both sides, both on, both on the part of um, IT and in nursing. Would each one of you make a comment on what your personal experience would have been in watching the dynamics of nursing and IT trying to respond to this COVID uh, uh, challenge that we have in front of us? Do you want to start, Brian? Yeah, for sure, Don. No, and I think that's um, that's an excellent question, and, and I think you know it speaks to probably every healthcare organization in Canada, I'm sure. And I think you know at CAMH, I think definitely. Uh, as we responded to, um, you know, the pandemic and, you know, the virtual care and transitioning all the care over, I think um, definitely, I think it has played a really essential and critical role. Um, for me, I had the privilege because I, I also work on the physician side. I also were, was able to kind of see all three kind of work together, IT, physician and nursing, as well as other health professions. And I think really it speaks to a lot of collaboration and really building out and trying to develop that kind of shared vision around what that would look like and developing it in a rapid format, which I know in the past hasn't been something that, you know, we've had the pressure to, which, you know, luckily we didn't really have to beforehand, but um, I think it's really unique to see those come together. And I think just stemming back to the competencies, a lot of it is really about that collaboration piece and how to build that uh, identifying what those priorities are and looking at what is, you know, the most important pieces to move forward from an operational standpoint. Um, and so definitely, I think um, the collaboration piece is one of them. And definitely, too, I think, um, look, just reflecting back, I think there's so many learning pieces. And as we kind of start untangling, you know, thinking through what our experiences have been, um, there's definitely a lot of many lessons learned. I think we could kind of optimize, you know, if um, for both, you know, ongoing delivery of digital health, but also um, kind of from a, you know, a pandemic kind of response perspective. Uh, and I'm sure Jillian can definitely elaborate more on her role as well uh, from, from CAMH and her operations as well. So that's a bit of it. I'll pause there for now. But Great. Well, thanks for those observations, Brian. Hopefully the momentum um, continues into the uh, future. Lorraine, would you like to share some thoughts? Yeah, I think the thing that I'd like to um, talk about, absolutely, that partnership was so key. And I, but I think um, I also want to call out the important role that our informatics teams play in, in terms of the translation, because what we saw is that in that transition between um, our old world and our new world is that some groups were more successful than others, right? So it wasn't just like throwing in technology and suddenly teams would have access to Zoom or, you know, suddenly we gave areas a bunch of iPads and, you know, to allow that access to the outside world. But it's like, how do you integrate that with your clinical workflows, right? And, and how do you make that? So it's a whole paradigm switch. And, and, and we found that some areas needed more support to understand how do you change your work and how do you adapt your workflows? What will your new reality look like, right? And so it is, you need that true collaboration. You need the core technology teams to come and support that. And you need your informatics teams to partner with that. And you need your operations support to 
help with that change management um, to support their staff in terms of making that switch to the new reality. So it really is a partnership between everyone. Thank you, um, Lorraine. Jillian, your thoughts? I can provide a specific example of a project that sort of came to mind when you asked this question, and that is um, right at the start of the pandemic, uh, we, so we have, I'm situated in a large mental health hospital. Um, at the start, we, we restricted folks from being able to come and go. So people were essentially stuck in their rooms um, for a very long period of time. We're already working to improve people's mental health here. And so that is certainly not a situation that you want to do for, or to put someone in for someone who's already struggling. And so um, fortunately, we were able to work with our foundation to have something like 500 plus tablets donated um, so that every inpatient could have a tablet. Now think about this, not everyone knows how to use a tablet, not everyone's familiar with um, uh, like how you navigate it, what are all the various features. And so that, um, that was a lot of direct care nursing involvement in thinking about, well, how do you clean them? Um, and whose responsibility is that? And who teaches this? And how do we, um, we also have to think about uh, what are the, you know, is someone having too much screen time? And um, these also ended up being how you see family and friends. These also ended up being how you connect with providers that are outside of the organization. So sometimes it was a matter of how do we um, set up that we use WebEx at our organization, but whatever it is for your organization, Zoom. And so all of a sudden, um, nurses at the organization had to become almost this like broker of IT um, knowledge and digital literacy at the same time as um, doing their other work. Um, and so that was very interesting. And we have now uh, a nurse who's doing your master's who's evaluating, you know, how did that all go? What could we have done differently? Because you sort of just do what you can as quickly as you can. Um, and trying to be thoughtful about the process and making sure you've got all these things like we need to, be, it's COVID, we definitely need to be able to clean these things, like some of these basic things in place. Um, uh, but I think one of the things we learned is that it was so wonderful to work with our IT colleagues who, who just wanted to be able to say, I could do something that was helpful at this time and I could contribute. Um, Cause some folks felt like well, I'm at my home office, like what can I do, right? Um, but this is a way that we actually brought in a lot of that, our IT, and I say IT, but some of like the actual like device people that know how to make those things function and work appropriately, um, come to the huddles, figure out, like go to the inpatient units, um, go figure out what's working, figure out what's not working, rapid iterations. Um, and it was this amazing opportunity to see like IT members of becoming part of the team. Um, and there's a few that come to mind that uh, there's someone named JT at my organization that he, like he's part of the, some of these clinical teams because he just really made these things happen. Excellent. Well, thank you for those um, for those examples. Um, I think <clears throat> what you've shared would be an incredibly influential and uh, important case study to pick those examples that you've identified, perhaps for a future issue of Longwoods or Healthcare Management Forum. So uh, just wanted to get that, uh, that in. 
Thank you for those. I want to turn to Cheryl, um, who's put a question in uh, to you. Um, she's curious to hear a bit more on the strategies at the individual organizational professional association and provincial levels for quote, making time. And I know what she's getting at there for clinicians to develop their informatics competencies in the content of health human resource shortage that is predominant across our sectors. How do we tackle that? I'll maybe start with you, Brian. No, that's an excellent question, Cheryl. And I think um, that's definitely one of the discussions that we've um, that we've had both uh, within our groups and even within the nursing informatics community, I think has always been, you know, there's already a shortage of, uh, of our workforce, but how do we still make time to enhance and, you know, support our nurses and, um, you know, gaining those competencies, um, especially for nurse leaders. And I think, um, you know, there has been definitely some discussions, early discussions about what some of the ways can be. For example, one of the things that we've been doing is to um, develop that kind of self-assessment um, instrument that we've been trying to build. And one of the, the hope for this instrument is that uh, hopefully nurse leaders will be able to use it to identify, you know, what are some of the gaps where um, they could potentially leverage kind of professional development opportunities or whether it may be conference or educational opportunities to really support it. And so that really helps streamline um, and ensure that efficiency in terms of identifying what those next steps are. Um, and I know definitely there are so many different options out there. For example, there are graduate level programs, there are professional development courses, uh, continu continuing education courses, but really trying to identify and pick exactly what are the gaps and pieces that will be uh, useful for the needs and you know useful in terms of their learning uh, has been one of the ways that uh, we've tried to explore and address this issue. Um, but I'm sure over time, I think there's a lot of more increase in interest and in kind of thinking through um, education opportunities for both at the clinical and informatics pieces at that interface. And so um, I'm sure there can be creative ways to kind of like slip in bits and pieces to support that professional development opportunities as we move forward. So but I'll pause from here for that. Okay, thank you. Any thoughts, Lorraine or Jillian? Yeah, I think um, it is a challenge right now for sure. I think um, one of the strategies I think we need to look at is how do we embed it as a theme that kind of runs across everything we do in our organization. So for example, um, one of the strategies that we use in our organization are interdisciplinary learning reviews, how we look, um, 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 you know, a quality review um, for ongoing learning in our organization. And um, technology is a theme uh, that comes out at some of the interdisciplinary learning reviews. Um, and that becomes an opportunity, not just for quality improvement, but for everyone who participates in those reviews, it's a learning opportunity, right? Um, so that may be, um, you know, um, technology-induced errors or other things that have come about through that, um, that incident. So it's things like that. It's, it's just, it's starting to call it out in a systematic way uh, throughout the organization. Um, I do think we um, could be more thoughtful in organizations about um, our collaborations uh, with uh, post-academic institutions as well, in terms of embedding scholars as well, uh, because there are so many synergies there in terms of um, uh, learnings on both sides as well. Excellent. Thank you, Lorraine. Jillian? I'll just add something very brief, which is um, earlier, Brian had on, a, on his slide a little QR code at the bottom. 
Um, and that QR code was to link out to a survey, um, which is about developing a self-assessment instrument for nurse leaders to fill out to know where their gaps are. And so rather than you know, spending however long in a particular course and everything under the sun that you need to know, by focusing your time and energy on what you need to learn, um, that gap in your, your knowledge and skill set. So um, that is under development, that, um, but that is a way of recognizing that um, you know, even if we were to go to a place where we have no staffing issues and our workload is manageable, we'll, we'll, we'll likely still need to do that and not be able to dive into like a four month course on this. <clears throat> Thank you. Both Ginger and Rebecca um, have engaged in similar kinds of questions in, in respect to um, um, education, which I think is sort of a recurring theme um, uh, amongst a number of the questions. So I'll maybe jump ahead to Sharon's um, question. Um, and she asks, is there an ideal structure that facilitates the work between the ISIT department and the clinical nursing informatics team? For some in the audience, the medical informatics team would be important to also consider. For us, we have only nursing and other types of services, but no physicians. Um, I'll let you choose which one would go first. Lorraine, you wanna go ahead? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if there's uh, one ideal role or structure. I think it really depends on your organization. Um, we, um, for our organization, we have a consolidated IT service. So it actually lives outside our organization within another organization. Uh, so that, you know, creates its own, um, both its um, challenges, but also benefits, right? To have a consolidated uh, service. Um, so we have to figure out what that relationship uh, looks like. Um, we do have specific uh, roles that focus on supporting physicians. Um, and I and I really value that partnership between um, my role and the CMI, uh, CMIO role within the organization. We partner quite closely uh, together. Um, and then I and I think with our, our IT counterparts, uh, you know, really looking at how we enable the strategic priorities of the organization. Excellent. Julie. I can add to that um, in that I completely agree that there's no perfect uh, way of doing this. My mind goes right to our governance structure for thinking through changes to our existing electronic health record, including optimizing it. And um, it, it, you know, it never seems perfect. And we've recently tweaked it. Um, and we went out to ask a number of organizations about what they're doing at their organization. And everyone said, well, this works well, but this other piece, we're still trying to figure it out. So haven't yet talked to anyone that says they've perfectly figured out their governance structure related to, you know, change requests and that sort of thing. Um, but what I will say is I feel, you know, I'm in an inaugural role, um, it's fairly new. Um, so in my, you know, my hat includes uh, nursing and health disciplines. I have a counterpart uh, physician colleague and we like work like this together. So um, I know what, uh, I know I attend some of her major uh, meetings with her, her divisional chiefs. I'm at a single hospital, I should say, which is very different than 
uh, Lorraine, who's covering like a much larger group of organizations. Um, uh, we also have uh, some shared uh, committees and such that we say work together on uh, where appropriate. Um, some of our engagement strategies with clinicians are interdisciplinary. Um, sometimes they're separate, uh, depending on what that looks like. Uh, and um, so I would say that uh, it's going, you know, it seems to be going okay. Um, but we'll have to make tweaks along the way. We'll always, especially as we think about what we're working on for our um, electronic health record journey and other kinds of clinical systems and other kinds of digital technologies. Uh, one piece that we're learning is there's a ton of research going on in this space and we don't even know all that's going on at our organization, let alone across the, uh, the country, right? Um, and so we're trying to think about ways to bring that together to say, okay, what's working, what's a really neat project that we could actually learn from internally and maybe have some knowledge translation and think about, you know, what can we actually um, do as a more sustainable activity once the research is done. Thank you, um, Jillian. Brian, anything to add? Yeah, no, I just, I think I'll just make a quick comment. I think, um, you know, Jillian definitely mentions a lot of really different, really cool initiatives that we're working on. I think uh, from a physician side, I think it's interesting to kind of point out uh, one of the models that we've been trying to work with, which is what we kind of call a think tank approach, which essentially brings together um, a collaborative of both nursing and health professions. We have IT representation there, lab, pharmacy, uh, as well as kind of divisional representatives from uh, from our physician side. So at, uh, at our hospital, we have seven different academic divisions, and that's how our, our physicians are kind of organized. And so because they all have different workflows and needs, we do have kind of a representative from each division who kind of represents their, their physicians in terms of their, uh, in terms of their needs. And so at each of these monthly think tanks, um, it really is really amazing to just see everyone come together, really hash out and discuss all the really, um, you know, all the really important concerns or any challenges or even new innovations. And they kind of serve as kind of our, uh, partially kind of a consultation kind of, um, you know, body to kind of provide that kind of broad representation in terms of, uh, you know, emerging issues or concerns that come about, but really also to have a forum for discussion. Uh, sometimes our physician in chief comes in here too, and we, we have a really nice discussion around, you know, some of the topics and really important priorities that we should be thinking about. And to us, I think that has been something that um, as we kind of reiterate, it's going to obviously evolve, but it has really provided a really nice forum to kind of have that collaboration together, so. Excellent, well, thank you for um, framing the orientation towards this that could help facilitate um, success. Bryn has a question and she's focused in on the change process. And there is much that needs to be done in respect to understanding um, management of change at the nurse leader level. What role do you feel specific nurse leader competencies in change management have in helping organizations navigate the competing digital health initiatives? So big question. Do you want to start, Lorraine? Uh. Um, I just, it's so critical, right? I think, you know, obviously within, you know, a given project, um, the leader can help articulate the overall um, um, 
goals and aims and, and the benefits. But I think at a system level, why it can be so important is, you know, in a system such as ours, each area can be very distinct with their own priorities and they can be at different stages along the digital transformation and they can get frustrated too with, um, sometimes the, the pace at how, how fast we're moving, right? And so they, it can be very easy for different areas of a large organization to say, well, we'd like to go off in that direction. <laughs> and meanwhile, someone else is saying, well, we'd like to go off in that direction, right? So to have um, leaders that are able to articulate the overall um, um, strategic alignment and why that is so critical, why we have to stay aligned for that overall benefit of our digital um, ecosystem and what happens when we don't. Um, that, you know, we just, you know, if, if we don't, we, we keep on this pattern of recreating these silos of information and data um, that, that um, recreate these patterns that we want to get out of. So. Thanks, Lorraine. Jillian? If I reflect back to um, the list of the 20 some odd competencies, I think there's just really one that speaks to like knowing all about change management, right? And I, and, and I think what you've pointed out, Brent, is that the big topic, right? <laughs> um, and there's a lot of subcomponents. You could have probably a list of competencies for how to manage change, right? Um, and so um, as a as a new CCIO for myself, and I know Brad, you're um, in your first couple of months, I think as CNIO at SickKids, um, this is something that uh, we'll be really engaged in. <laughs> Maybe we ought to have a conversation about that. But often one of the discussions that we have here is how do we bring nurses, direct care nurses throughout, um, into these conversations throughout the process um, so that nothing is a surprise. Um, and that we've been thoughtful about, you know, the timing of various changes, um, how change is communicated, um, where we should start, you know, all of these various pieces. Um, so more, more to learn <laughs> from my end on this. Um, and uh, it just makes me think about how big that one competency is that's listed. Great, yes. Anything to add to that, uh, Brian? No, I think that's that's perfect. And I think, you know, I think I, I love that question because I think, you know, we can have a discussion for days just about, you know, best practices on how to do so. And I think I think what it really highlights is uh, to me, what really stands out is really that collaboration piece. I think Lorraine and Jillian both really outlined that piece really importantly, that um, identifying and working with frontline um, clinicians as well, identifying what those parties are, I, I think really speaks to you know, what are those needs at the end of the day, right? What are the kind of future states that we're envisioning and helping kind of think through what that looks like uh, and really what can, what support can be provided as well, I think. Uh, like, I think a few examples from the implementations we've had recently for like portals and um, speech recognition and all that, um, it's definitely um, incremental pieces, but definitely collaboration really plays a huge role in identifying where we want to be and what comes next. And, and getting that buy-in across is really, really important. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Peter asks the question, and this may very well be our last one. Um, how do small nursing teams in workplaces that don't have a huge informatics presence 
and focus build on a stronger voice and identity for themselves, where can they look to for support? Yeah, I think um, I think that if this is sort of um, asking about uh, developing sort of networks as well, I think there is a great uh, groundswell across Canada of um, you know there is our there's CNIA, and I think if people start reaching out, they'll start making connections and finding support. And I think people are more than happy to to answer questions and and uh, talk about the work that they're doing in their organizations. Um, so I would just encourage people to reach out and, and start making those connections um, and, um, and seeking out their colleagues across Canada, because I, I think there is a lot of great work going on. I just don't think we're always as good as talking about it um, and spreading that good work. Thanks. Jillian? Agree. So the Canadian Nursing Informatics Association is out there. And then there's also often, not in every province, but often there's a jurisdiction group. So in, in my province, it's the Ontario Nursing Informatics Group. Um, I would just say that the nursing informatics community is the loveliest, most brilliant, wonderful group, but I'm biased, right? And that's all the people on this call. But in, but in all honesty, it's, um, it's a help each other group. Um, and so if I'm looking at, you know, I'm thinking about my particular, um, the, the HR system that I'm using, it's a, I use a particular vendor software, you know, I can reach out to a number of organizations that use this and say, like, what are you doing for X, Y, and Z? And they get back to me, like, very quickly and are very open to sharing. Uh, and so I say, you know, use that to your advantage. If you're a small group, don't feel like you have to invent everything from scratch. Um, leverage what's already been built. Excellent. Great advice. Brian, any last word? Yeah, no, I think, I think what Lauren and Jillian has mentioned, I think, is perfect. And I think um, even within uh, these organizations, CNIA and others, like there are so many opportunities for webinars and all that to kind of learn and kind of support that networking. Uh, I've been to a few, many of these uh, webinars and they're just fantastic and just learning more and knowing what others are doing. And I would say definitely not definitely learning from others and identifying what are those challenges and what are those lessons learned and how others are doing it has been, you know, has been even really helpful for even uh, my own work too. So uh, I definitely agree with that. Fabulous. Well, thank you to the three of you for a fabulous uh, orientation and identification of the challenges and opportunities. And I know Matt's coming on now. I just will mention that uh, I put in the uh, URL for the University of Victoria Health Information Science Program, which has a joint effort with the School um, of, of Nursing within the University of Victoria. And I'm very excited to be a, a part of that to help advance this agenda on a broader national scale. So thank you to the three of you. Matt, over to you. Thank you, Don. Um, I just uh, wanted to quickly, before we uh, shut it down, emphasize Jillian's point about reaching out. Um, again, this is a wonderful group of people here and who are quite obvious to share and learn from each other. So again, anybody online, feel free to reach out. So with that, um, I will say thank you to everybody and have a fantastic day and uh, we will see you soon. Take care, bye-bye.